So all winter long, we've been uh, studying, I, I hate to say all winter long, because it seems like it's kind of still winter, I guess. Uh, all the, I, I said to somebody today, I'm glad we didn't have that, uh, that sunrise service this morning. I think, uh, think we wouldn't have... Uh, wouldn't have made it, but uh, we've been looking all winter, since January, we've been looking at this, uh, this, this book, the book of Romans, this fundamental, foundational letter. Uh, we've learned about God and his love for us. We've learned about sin and how all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've learned about how Jesus is the answer, that his death and resurrection has made all of the difference. Uh, last week, uh, uh, we were right at the end of Romans chapter 8, and, and I said that that kind of brings us to a climax, kind of a culmination of everything that Paul had been talking about for the first uh, eight chapters. And he kind of comes to this high point and, and it, it was just this, uh, this great exciting thing, great, de- great message for Easter Sunday. We could really hear the passion in, in, in Paul's voice as he's, uh, I think I've mentioned, but uh, he's not writing this. He's actually uh, dictating this to someone else who's writing it down and you can just see him kind of pacing back and forth and getting excited as, he, as he's talking about the awesome news one more time that God is for us and nothing can separate us from his love and it's just a amazing wonderful wonderful good news and that's how Romans chapter 8 ends and then there's this huge shift uh, we'll, we'll read it in just a second. Scholars uh, say that chapter 9 uh, kind of brings this huge right turn so to speak uh, right turn you're right. Uh, anyway, uh, there, there are, uh, there, there are actually some who say that chapters 9, 10, and 11 in, in the book of Romans could actually be picked up and taken out, or actually some people say that perhaps it was another letter written at another time and it was picked up and put in to Romans, uh, right in here in, in chapter, uh, right after 8 and before 12. Um, it's kind of, it's such a diversion. Actually, I mean, if you, if you read Romans chapter 8, the, the end of it, and then jump to Romans 12 chapter 1, it, it actually kind of flows. Look at it there. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, uh, things present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It's your spiritual act of worship. It, it flows. It goes, because of all this awesome stuff, because of God's mercy for us, we'll offer ourselves. And, and it kind of is this seamless flow. But in between those verses, and, and I'm not one that says that it's a, it's a separate letter. I think Paul did this on purpose. Because the, the culmination of all this kind of stirred something up in Paul. Uh, and and he, he needed to come back around to talk about this issue that he's actually touched on a few times. And, and he goes in depth on in these, in these chapters. It's, it grows out of Paul's, Paul's passion, not only for the good news of Jesus, but also his passion for his own people, the, the, the Jewish people. The reality was that most of the Jews that Paul's preaching to as he's traveling around, and, and, and most of these folks are not coming around to faith in Jesus. And it was troubling for Paul, and, and I believe that we can learn a lot about his passion for them as we as we start into this this section in Romans chapter 9. So let's read those first 5 verses of Romans chapter 9. Uh, first in the NIV and then I want us to 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 catch it out of the message paraphrase and and uh, and really kind of let it hit home. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. 
For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. In the message. At the, at the same time, you see that, so again, he's, he's ending uh, uh, chapter 8 and saying, uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. At the same time, you need to know that I carry with me at all times a huge sorrow. It's an enormous pain deep within me, and I'm never free of it. I'm not exaggerating. Christ and the Holy Spirit are my witnesses. It's the Israelites. If, if there were any way I could be cursed by the Messiah so they could be blessed by him, I'd do it in a minute. They're my family. I, I grew up with them. They had everything going for them. Family, glory, covenants, relation, worship, promises, to say nothing of being the race that produced the Messiah, the Christ, who is God over everything always. Oh, yes. So at the height of Paul's excitement over God's grand plans for salvation and sanctification and glorification and all the other shuns we could talk about, he was also dealing with a huge sorrow and a deep pain. Because of his own people, the people of his own culture, the people that were most like him were missing out on this. And he wanted them to get in on all that God had for them, but they weren't coming around. And so today we kind of... It kind of brings us to this whole topic of evangelism. Evangelism in our culture seems to have developed a bad reputation. Uh, there's a Barna study just out, uh, a new book by the uh, the Barna Group, and and part of that uh, they've they've surveyed a lot of people about a lot of different things, and and there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of things in the church that that we would take as kind of foundational that are becoming viewed by by society more and more extreme. For instance, this this idea of evangelism. Uh, Over 60% of adults uh, surveyed by Barna uh, viewed evangelism or attempting to convert others to your faith. So I'm following Christ and I want you to follow him too. I'm attempting to convert you to my faith. They would view that as, quote, extreme, it's an extreme thing. So one of the fundamental messages of Jesus, we saw it on the video a minute ago, uh, go and make disciples of all nations. That's the essence of evangelism. That's the essence of, of, our, of our marching orders from Jesus. And, and yet now it's, it's labeled as wacko and extreme. And boy, those folks are really, really going way too far. Society would rather people just keep to themselves. I'll believe what I believe, but I don't want anybody to bother me or I don't want to bother anyone else about it. I think we've probably gotten here for, for, for a lot of reasons, but primarily because I'm not sure that the church through the years has done a great job of, of really sharing our faith authentically. We've, we, many times people uh, see others as a, a conquest to master, so to speak, uh, rather than uh, a soul in need of a savior. But, but evangelism is really just befriending someone and showing them the love of Jesus, right? And, and it happens best up close in, in relationships. 
the number one way that people get to know God is, is through other people, usually other people that they know well. Uh, if, if you thought for just a second, think, think for just a minute, uh, how did you come to faith in God? Now there's a chance that, that, that perhaps it happened through a, a television evangelist or, or, or maybe, uh, maybe you just walked into church off the street and it just, just kind of happened. Probably, I would venture to guess, if we were to poll everyone here today, probably it happened because of a person or several people in your life who loved you enough to live out their faith uh, alongside you and to talk to you about that and to share that faith with you. Statistics bear that out. And another uh, survey from Church Growth Incorporated uh, asked the question, who or what was responsible for your coming to Christ uh, and to your church? So, so how did you come to, to, uh, to faith? Let's go ahead and, and, and uh, put that up there. The first is a special need. So I had a special need. 1% of folks uh, came to Christ through that. Walk in. Walked in off the street, 2%. Uh, the pastor. Uh, this is really great for, for job security for me. Five whole percent, five percent uh, came because of the pastor, or the pastor was, a, was the one who, who brought them uh, to faith. Visitation, someone showed up at your door or made a phone call or, or uh, reached out to you in some way. Uh, Sunday school, four percent. A crusade or television, one percent. Specific church program, my kids were involved in this, or I joined this group or this study, whatever, three percent. Friend or relative, 83 percent. The majority of people can trace their spiritual roots directly to a friend or relative. In most cases, God uses people to bring other people to him. I think we probably knew that, uh, but I also think that we're not all that great at it. I, I don't know, maybe that's just me. I, I don't want to put, it, put that on you, but I, I think at times we're gun shy, maybe because we don't want to be seen as extreme, right? We probably maybe already knew that as well. Uh, we, we don't know what to say. We don't quite know what we believe ourselves. I don't have it all down, so how can I tell anybody else about it? Uh, but it still doesn't change the fact that the part of living our lives for Christ must involve sharing his love with the people around us. Uh, in, in Luke 19.10, Jesus said that was the whole purpose that he came. Uh, he came from, from, uh, from, from heaven. He, he uh, lived uh, life with us, became like us. Why? To seek and to save those who are lost. That's, that's the purpose that, that he came, to seek and to save those who are lost. So if it's Jesus' purpose and people come to faith through relationships, then, then we have, uh, and we have this amazingly good news that Paul has talked about and, and nothing can separate us and God is for us and, and all of this, then we have to spread it, right? We, and I think the, perhaps the fundamental reason why we don't is that we lack that great sorrow and unceasing anguish that Paul had for his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters who had not yet believed in Christ. Paul was, was distressed about this uh, constantly. Uh, it, it motivated his life. He, he literally says that he would rather be cursed. Now, I'm not sure I'm there yet. He would rather Jesus curse him and take all his uh, Jewish friends and family uh, than, than to see them uh, miss out on salvation. It's a pretty bold statement. It kind of sounds, for lack of a better term, sounds a little extreme, <laughs> Why this great anguish for Paul and why not for us? I think we have lost the seriousness of being lost. <laughs> we have lost that sense of seriousness of what it means to be lost. Have you ever been lost? Men, you can answer. It's okay. I've been, yeah, I've, I've been lost. Um, 
Now, it matters where you are, where you're lost, right? I mean, lost in Walmart is a little different than lost at Yosemite National Park, right? I mean, who would ever want to be lost in Walmart, right? I mean, that was, that'd be, that's a scary thing. Um, in the park, not so much, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, You've seen what happens. Someone, you know, you see it on the news. Someone's uh, out, and uh, maybe they get separated from their group, or they went out for a hike and never came back, or or whatever. And they're they're out in the wilderness somewhere, and it, it, everything kind of stops, right? Or everything all kicks into gear. Emergency rescue teams are called to action. Technology is employed. Uh, someone is is lost in a remote part of the country, and all resources available are used to to to, to try to find them uh, before they can succumb to any number of dangers that may be out there to get them. They, maybe they fell down, or, or or maybe they're in danger of of, uh, of of drowning, or being attacked by an animal, or maybe they're going to run out of water, or run out of food, or go into shock, or go into dehydration. Uh, we know the dangers because we know the dangers we do whatever it is that we can in order to find them because they're lost paul lived every day with a keen awareness of the serious consequences for people who are spiritually lost separated from god especially especially the jews his people those those that that he had a special heart for he grew up with them his family his friends he knew the seriousness of lostness and and I believe that that if we really truly believe all that Romans has taught us over the first eight chapters, we should not only rejoice in that truth of God's love for us, but that same truth is true for other people that we know that don't yet know him. And so that should motivate us because of the immensity of this, this amazingly good news. It should motivate us to help spread that word to anyone and everyone that we can. Because if we don't, they will be lost for all eternity. And it could just be your influence that helps them find Jesus. I think maybe we don't think we have too much influence. I, I don't know. But, but in reality, really, we each one have a specific sphere of influence. We have people and relationships that we have, uh, that, uh, that, that, and, and we have certain influence over people. Now, we might know the same people, but you have a different influence over that same person than I do. There's, there's unique relation. Every one of us has a unique sphere of influence. That circle of relationships, your family, your friends, the people that you know, and, and they know you. Uh, some of them, uh, already know Christ, right? Some of them might not. Statistics show that for a church to grow, the, uh, the, the members of that church should have an average of at least nine unchurched friends or family members in their sphere of influence. One reason I think we don't reach out and invite people to church is because we don't know very many people who aren't yet in church. And that's, that's a, a, a big deal. The longer we're following Christ, we surround ourselves with people that that that, uh, that know Him and that love Him, and that's great and that's important. And we need to have encouragement and strength from that. Uh, but we can't lose sight of the world that is in need of God's love. We can't just form a holy huddle and forget about the world outside. So we have to be intentionally building relationships and increasing our sphere of influence if we're going to truly proceed with the marching orders that Jesus has given us to go and make disciples. Paul was, was uh, that, I mean, that was his whole life. Uh, he intentionally sought out people. He traveled thousands of hard miles. He, he wrote letters. He had a second job to support his ministry. Uh, he, he, but Paul didn't go and just preach at people. He shared his life with them. He shared the gospel with them. He loved them so much and he wanted them to know uh, that they don't have to be lost anymore. 
It was a passion. It was, I mean, it, it was an anguish. I, I don't know. I mean, that, are we in anguish? Great sorrow, deep sorrow in our hearts because the people that we know don't know Christ. When people didn't respond to Paul's message, it wasn't just, oh, well, sad to be you. Deep anguish, sorrow in his heart. There are two main passages in Scripture that kind of give us our, our marching orders of what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, of course, all of Scripture uh, fleshes that out, but really it comes down to first the, uh, the Great Commission in Matthew 28 that we saw on the video just a few minutes ago. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Go and make disciples, not stay and hope, the, hope people come in so you can minister to them. Go and make disciples. It's part of our marching orders. There's one big thing that we need to be doing. The other thing, uh, it's, it's called the Great Commission. The other thing is the Great Commandment. And that's uh, found in, in several of the, uh, uh, well, throughout Scripture, Matthew 22 is one great place where it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and Jesus said, and, and really, if we couple these two together, we get everything we should be doing as, as Christ followers. Go and make disciples. As you're doing that, you're going to love God with all your heart and you're going to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's why we go and make disciples, because we love God and because we love the people that are that he's put within our sphere of influence. Now, the rest of chapter 9, Romans chapter 9, if you've read it, uh, I don't know. We're, we're going to dive into it next week, and it, it can get kind of confusing, and it's, it's pretty complicated, and it's a big theological uh, debate. Uh, has been uh, one of the, as, as I've looked at it uh, some already, uh, it's, it's actually been described as one of the most complicated or hard to understand passages in Scripture. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal, and we're going we're gonna to go there next week. Uh, but uh, uh, but as he, as he uh, walks through that, uh, before he does, I think we need to realize the foundation of why he's walking through all that, and that is because he has the seriousness of lostness, and, and his motivation is a motivation of love, deep, deep love who the, for those who still were lost. We, we've seen it before in this study. You know it. You've, uh, you've heard it. You've, uh, you've read it. You could probably recite it. It's on the, uh, the, the signs held up behind the, uh, the, the, the goalposts at, at football games. Uh, God is motivated by love, right? That's, that's why he uh, has sent Jesus. God so loved the world. Why did Jesus, why did God send his only begotten son? Because he so loved the world. The, the main motivation was love. And so God wants everyone to come to faith in him. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That kind of factors in again next week as we... So hold on to that uh, little thought that God wants everyone to come to faith in him. He's motivated. For, for now, let's, let's focus in on his motivation, that he is, he is a God of love. And he wants... The people around you to know that he is a God of love. The people in your sphere of influence. God loves your kids. God loves your grandkids. God loves your co-workers just as much as he loves you. Some of them might not know that yet. And God just might be planning on using you to help them understand that. God loves them. We love them. So it might seem a little silly that, that we'd be afraid to tell them. To tell them that God loves them, that he's for them, that, that he offers forgiveness and peace and hope and the promise of eternity in heaven. Why wouldn't we share that? I, I don't know. There's, we get nervous, I guess. 
We're not sure how they'll react. We're not sure what they'll say. I mean, it's true. They might reject us. They might, they might think we're wacky. They might say, ah, oh, you're kind of one of those extreme guys, right? They might think that, uh, that, that I think that I'm better than them. Uh, they might ask me something that I can't answer. Well, I, I don't know. If I say the wrong thing, they might reject God forever. Uh, you know what? There, there are a million things that that might happen. But there is one thing that is 100% sure. Saying nothing will not help anyone come to Christ. The stakes are too high, and you care about them too much. So what can we do? I, I, there's, there's classes, there's uh, things we can learn and study and comprehend, and, and we'll be, be looking at for For today, I, I really want us to focus on that, on that motivation, and what is that motivation going to push us to do? If we, if we are in deep anguish, uh, uh, increasing sorrow over people not coming to Christ, well, one thing we need to do is be praying for them. Who are you praying for that they will open their hearts to Jesus? Your kids, your coworkers, your, your grandkids, your, your, uh, your, your extended family members, your kids' friends, their families. No matter what is going on in your life or in the life of the person you're trying to reach, prayer is the number one way to reach them. I mean, we can step out and say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Prayer is what kind of helps us, helps us, helps guide that conversation. Maybe we need to not say something now, but say something then and be available. And, but, but we have to be connected to Christ, to his leadership of his spirit. When we pray for, for, for these people, we're laying that entire relationship before God. It's not just, oh God, bring them to faith. That's a great thing to pray. We need to pray that. But also, but also we're praying that God would have his way in that entire relationship. That maybe I'd be able to speak up. Or maybe he'll bring someone else into that, into that relationship to be able to speak into their lives. Or, or, or maybe, maybe God's going to change me and change my attitude so that I'm better equipped to help them in their situation. Be ready for God not only to move in their lives but also to move in yours. Be open to new ideas, new ways to reach the people that are closest to you. And I think it's very important not only to pray for that current sphere of influence, but also continue to pray that God would enlarge your sphere of influence, to be intentional about uh, ways to, to, to find others who need to know him. Some of us have been, uh, myself, uh, at the top of the list. We've been, been following Christ for so long, it seems like we don't have a whole lot of influence with, with those that haven't been. And so we have to be intentional and we have to pray about God leading us into those places. So we need to pray and I've, I believe we also need to be present. We need to invest in, in re- these relationships. Uh, we're not just off in our ivory tower somewhere praying for them and hoping it all happens, but we're also seeking out ways to allow God to use us. Our willingness to love them and to listen to them will open more doors to the gospel than any amount of television evangelists or Christian books or podcasts that you can slide under their nose and hope they catch it, right? They're, they're a person, not a project, Evangelism is never about building a relationship in order to capture a convert. It's about sharing what Christ has done for you and helping them to realize that he wants to do that for them too. Uh, Wynn and Charles Arn, uh, in their recent book, says it this way, there's a difference between the reason for a relationship to get a convert and the result of a caring relationship. Often it's a new disciple. 
Build your friendship with sincerity and unconditional caring. The non-Christian who perceives you as a friend is more likely to respond to Christ's love than the person who sees you either as a teacher or as a salesman. We're building that relationship. And a huge part of that is just listening, right? Not so much, uh, a lot of times we're so worried about what we're going to say. What what are we going to say? How do we... You know, we learn the four spiritual laws and, and, and we work through all of that and, and we try to understand what, uh, what, what God would have for us to say or do. A huge part of being present is just listening. I'm not saying that we should never speak up, but, but we should listen enough so that, so that we can understand where, where these people are and where they're coming from and, and developing that bond so that you're, I guess you gain the credibility of, of being heard. Uh, they're, they're not seeing you as someone who is just uh, out to teach them or condemn them or to judge them, but someone who loves them. And they're going to be much more open uh, to that, recognizing that you have their best interest at heart, that you have some credibility. Uh, I heard a story years ago about Billy Graham, and, and uh, in one instance anyway, he kind of lacked credibility. He was in a city uh, for one of his crusades, and in the afternoon he had written a letter and, and uh, needed to mail that before the crusade was going to happen that night, and so he headed out from his hotel. Well, well before GPS and all that kind of stuff, he headed out from the, from the hotel, and, and he was, just went out to find a post office. And he had walked several blocks and didn't see any post office or any sign, signs directing him to the post office, and he saw a boy walking his bicycle, and he said, Son, can you tell me where the post office is? And the boy said, sure, mister, and he, he told him, and it was just a, just, you know, around the corner and up the street. So he thanked the, the boy, and then as he turned to go, uh, the, the story goes that, that, uh, Mr. Graham, uh, said, oh, and son, uh, why don't you come to the crusade tonight? And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll show you how you can get to heaven. And the boy said, I don't think so, mister. I mean, how can you know how to get to heaven? You can't even find a post office. In that instance, Billy Graham had a credibility issue, right? I, certainly, we need credibility, uh, and I think that's, that's part of this as well. Not only are we praying for them and we're present, but we're also uh, in a relationship ourselves, and we're growing, and, and we're maturing, and we're, we're getting closer and closer to Christ, and, and as we do that, it spills over into the lives where we live, and, and, and people see that, and they come to faith in Christ. We love them the way God loves them. Usually it happens over time. It's not just a, a quick gospel presentation or, or hand out a tract and, and move on. Most, most current Christians actually testify that, that it took at least six times of hearing the gospel before they responded to it and made a commitment. A lot of times we're merely helping them take a step or two closer to that commitment to Christ. Usually a person who, who, uh, who, who kind of comes to faith as a spur of the moment kind of thing, it doesn't last long term. But when they've been heard and when they've seen and experienced God's love through the church, through you, through the body of Christ, God's people, there's much more chance that they will respond and allow him to, to, uh, to change them from the inside out. So, uh, so pray and be present in your relationships because there are some people that you know who are lost who don't yet know Jesus. If we look at Paul's life, we realize that's a big deal. Being lost is a a serious issue. It should steal our sleep. It, It should fill us with sorrow. God wants to use you to reach the people in your life. 
with his love.